and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Tiffany. Tiffany is a mom of two. All of them are neurodivergent. She is a survivor of multiple perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So in addition to talking about her and her kids and, you know, the different things that she's going on, she'll also share a little bit about work and things like that. So I'm grateful to have Tiffany here today with us. So Tiffany, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about your story? Sure. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me today. Um, so like you mentioned, we're all neurodiverse and um, I have experienced many mental health challenges throughout my life, um, which have influenced my work now as, um, as a full spectrum doula. Um, I am also certified in perinatal mental health and I do a lot of work around uh, grief as well. Um, so you mentioned I have two children. I have a son and a daughter. So you mentioned mental health and of course being neurodivergent. Do you want to share kind of how those things came up in your life and what sort of bond knowing that you have those sort of diagnoses? Sure. Um, so neurodiversity sort of came into my life, you know, when I was a very small child. Um, it was, you know, the early 90s and I was diagnosed with ADHD at that time, um, which for for most of my life, I actually really resented and rejected. Um, I didn't want that label and it caused me a lot of stress as a little girl. Um, also throughout my younger years, I experienced a lot of anxiety and depression and um, that was all related to, you know, complex PTSD and trauma. So my mental health challenges started really early on in life. And then, you know, that also kind of sort of crept back at, in my perinatal reproductive journey, you know, becoming a mother um, with all those changes, it sort of morphed into something else. Um, so as an adult now, you know, having neurodivergent children, that sort of gave me an opportunity to look at the things that were different about myself um, and come to more of a place of self-compassion and self-awareness and more self-acceptance, I think, than I've ever really had. Um, I've come to realize that I'm likely on the autism spectrum as well, but, you know, growing up um, in the culture and the society that we have, you know, that's not really recognized. It's not very easily diagnosed in women. Um, because of the, you know, diagnostic criteria. So I've sort of self-identify um, being on the autism spectrum and realize that my children are as well. So did you have good, I'm not sure like the word I'm thinking of, but systems, I guess, in place when you were younger for handling anxiety and depression and your ADHD diagnosis? No. <laughs> um, no, actually, I think a lot of that um, was so much of a struggle because there was so little understanding and so little support. Um, you know, the way that they think they handled the ADHD when I was younger was 
trying a few different medications, um, which didn't really work for me. And there wasn't anything else to sort of follow that up. You know, like nowadays with neurodiversity, there is a bit more in place um, for parents, you know, with like OT and um, different therapies, you know, speech therapy, things like that, things for learning disabilities. Um, but back when I was growing up, you know, that stuff wasn't a thing yet. Um, and it wasn't offered to us, you know, to my knowledge. So I just sort of adapted and had to learn a lot through masking um, and trying to just appear quote unquote normal <laughs> and neurotypical, um, which was always really a struggle. So then what sort of happened going into pregnancy for you that then you had these perinatal responses um, after giving birth? Um, so it's different with each pregnancy. Um, sort of to give a little bit more background, you know, with the, the whole medication aspect. I was medicated early on as a little girl for the ADHD, right? I tried a few different medications and then my mom sort of gave up on that. Um, but then when I was around 12, I developed panic attacks and severe anxiety. Um, and that's when I was placed on, I think it was Paxil. So I was on an antidepressant for a really, really long time. Um, when I conceived my first child, I had just gotten off medication for the first time in my life and realized very quickly that I could not cope with that pregnancy um, without those medications. So I had to go back on one that was safe for pregnancy. They had put me on Zoloft and throughout his pregnancy, well, throughout my pregnancy with him, I was on that medication, um, still struggling, you know, with anxiety and a little bit of depression, but nothing in the same realm of what I experienced with my second pregnancy. Um, after having him, and I think he was about two and a half, I finally titrated off all medication. I didn't want to be on it anymore. And um, it was that time in my life where I decided I needed to learn how to exist without my codependency on this medication. Um, when I conceived my daughter, I was very strongly against going on anything else. I didn't want to sort of go back. You know, I had about a few years under my belt without being on medication. And it was important to me to continue moving forward without it. Um, so with my experience with her, I had a much more severe, you know, diagnosis. Um, what I experienced with her was more perinatal OCD and intrusive thoughts, as well as severe anxiety and depression, um, which I had never, you know, that had never manifested in that way for me in my life. So it was very intense and it was very scary and new. Um, and I didn't realize it was a thing until, you know, much later when I learned that these are considered perinatal mood of anxiety disorders. And so how have things been in terms of medication and, you know, handling the ADHD while raising both kids? So I steer clear of medications um, and we all just sort of live chaotically, right? <laughs> um, we do our best with our strengths and, you know, navigating our, our weaknesses and um, finding alternative supports. And so what has it been like raising two children who are both neurodiverse? 
it is a lot. <laughs> um, at times, it can be really, really hard because um, the differences are so vast. You know, like if you compare, right? If we don't like to compare, but if you compare like us, a neurodivergent family, to you know, a neurotypical family, like our it's like the heat is turned up full blast, right? Um, it's really, it can be really, really intense sometimes because we're navigating sensory sensitivities and overwhelm and, you know, preferences, um, lack of capacity for certain things, executive dysfunction. Like it's just a whole complex, you know, experience to navigate. And it can be really intense at times when other people have children that, you know, have little tantrums. My kids have two hour long meltdowns. Um, and so it's just sort of, you know, parenting on high. <laughs> and so are you able to get good systems in place for them that, you know, they can be accommodated and, you know, not have to mask in the ways that you did as a child? Yeah. I mean, my experience that I had growing up really influenced my parenting choices. So I decided early on that my kids weren't going to go to conventional school, that we were going to homeschool slash unschool um, so that they would have the freedom to just be themselves and to learn in the ways that work for them and follow their interests um, instead of having to sort of fit in that cookie cutter box. Right. So we, in that sense, have a lot of freedom to just be ourselves um, and be at home and know when we've reached a limit and know when we need a little break um, and be able to do the things that we want that feel good for us. And would you be willing to share a little bit about kind of what your homeschool curriculum style kind of is and what sort of goals you might have for the kids as they get older? So we fall under, I guess, the umbrella term of like unschooling or life world schooling, um, which are sort of relatively new terms. We don't really follow any particular curriculum. Um, right now we're working on life skills and just what, what sparks their interest. Uh, we read a lot together. We go out and explore a lot of historical sites and museums. Um, a lot of it is just really free. You know, like there's no any particular style that I have to sort of abide by. Um, we do things when we want to do them. And so what does that kind of entail? Because this might be new for some listeners and the first time they might have even heard the term unschooling. What sort of happens mm -hmm. with the general skills that say you use as an adult such as like reading and mathematics, aside from like general life skills? So all of that has come sort of on a, a very different timeline than what our society expects, right? You know, most of our children are expected to learn to read at a certain age and begin these skills. Um, and that was really hard to sort of shed my own, you know, idea of because I grew up in that. And it took a lot of sort of de-schooling and stepping away from those expectations to see my child learn naturally on their timeline. Um, so a lot of that was just reading a lot with my children, um, keeping the subtitles on, on their programs that they watch, 
you know, learning math through cooking in the kitchen and measurements and recipes. And, um, you know, a lot of it is just really natural. So the things that they learn are the things or the skills that, that apply to them at their stage in life right now. Yeah, I think that can, you know, be well understood. You mentioned, you know, kind of maybe some hesitation from your initial bias of like what you went through. Did you get any kickback from any family or anything when you first decided to take this journey with your kids? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I still get it (laughs) all the time. Um, It's really hard to, you know, do things outside of the norm because everybody thinks like this has to be done this particular way and your kids are behind and you need to, you know, they should know this, this and that by this age. Um, so I, of course, always get commentary and criticism and, you know, questions like, why, why are you doing it this way? Um, but I think it's important to take a step back and reevaluate the systems that we're functioning in and, in you know, is, are we thriving? You know what I mean? Like, are we thriving as adults? Are we enjoying ourselves? Is life something that we enjoy living every day? Or are we just doing things because we, you know, believe we have to? Um, so I'm trying to teach my children to slow down a little bit and to find what they really enjoy, um, to play, you know, play more often and just be more of themselves instead of having to say like, I need to learn this particular thing by this age and this timeline, or I'm somehow less than, right? So it's a lot of just accepting where they are right now, which is still a journey and a process for me. You know, there are times when those comments and those criticisms seep in and make me really doubt what I'm choosing. Um, But I think it's important, you know, to find other people that are on the same path so that you can stay focused and have that encouragement and that support, um, you know, people who are choosing to do things a little bit outside of, of the typical society. And so do you have that kind of support? Like, is there a network of people who are doing similar sort of unschooling practices? There are, you know, I mean, online Facebook groups are really sort of where it's at. (laughs) Um, Finding those people, they may not be in my particular area, but we are able to stay connected and encourage each other, you know, virtually and, and give each other ideas and encouragement that way. Um, so that's been really helpful. And then there are some people that I have come across locally that practice a similar lifestyle. And, you know, my kids can just go and be with their kids. And, and we're learning from each other as we change, you know, the way that we approach parenting. And so do you ever... Like you mentioned how the comments can sometimes seep in, um, but you have a good support network. So does any sort of like the anxiety and depression that you had as a younger child, like kind of kick back in when you get this sort of negativity? Yeah, I mean, so part of my neurodivergence is I have really strong RSD, which is like a rejection sensitive dysphoria. Um, so it can be really hard to deal with comments and criticism and, you know, perceived or unperceived real rejection, um, in terms of my parenting choices or just anything I'm doing in life, because I, I feel things a lot more sensitively than I think the average person would. Um, so yeah, there are times when that doubt and that anxiety and that 
that questioning really do seep in. And it can take a few days for me to sort of recover from that um, and bounce back and get my perspective again. Right. And now I believe you have a husband. Yes. And so is he neurodivergent at all? And does he share any of these sort of kind of feelings and conversations that you have? You know, as we've been together and as our children have grown up and we've realized, you know, the differences in our neurodiversity, I, I do believe he is neurodivergent also. Um, I don't think he realized it until recently. <laughs> but yeah, he definitely does have some neurodivergent uh you know, aspects to him. And we both have had some challenges, you know, navigating our lifestyle because that programming that we receive early on, that high achieving, you know, like things need to be at this particular time, it's really strong. Um, and it can be really hard to let go of, you know, it comes up in different ways at different times. But yeah, you know, we do have a lot of conversations about it and a lot of our own self-healing actually comes through this journey um, of realizing that we're giving our kids a whole different opportunity than what we had. And, you know, that that brings up a lot of feelings, right? You know, realizing like, gosh, my kids have this much more freedom and they have this opportunity. And, and sometimes our kids don't even realize how good they have it. And that can be really triggering because, you know, we'll be like, you have like endless choices and we never had a choice. And, you know, why are you not being grateful for that? Right. But then that, that gives us the opportunity to sort of look back on us and, and realize like they don't even know how hard it was for us. And that's, that's a gift in and of itself. Right. Like they missed that train of suffering. So it's been, um, it's a, a good journey to do a lot of inner work. And do you think that's something that you might share with them when they're older, kind of how their experiences might be very different from the ones you experienced as a child? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids, my son is almost 12. So we talk a lot about it right now. You know, we talk a lot about how his, his whole life is very different than what we grew up with. You know, the, the expectations are super different. And the requirements are super different. And so, you know, we do give him a little bit of an understanding of like what we experienced and where we're coming from. Um, but I don't know that he'll really fully grasp it until he's old enough, you know, and he's he's past it to finally look back and sort of reflect. Yeah. Now, you mentioned how um, kind of going back a little bit that your personal experiences kind of led you into what you're doing professionally as a full spectrum doula. So do you want to kind of talk mm -hmm. about that work and how that relates to your experiences? Yeah. So when I was pregnant, um, the first and second time, you know, I I learned really quickly how hard it is to navigate all of the information that is, you know, at our fingertips these days, um, to know what is right and, you know, how to handle the coercion and the challenges. And it took me some time to realize, like, there is so little support available to pregnant people and there is so little unbiased education um, that I wanted to be what I was missing. Right. You know, I, I sort of realized that support was so vital that I didn't have at that time. And I think it would have been different. I would have had a different experience 
if I had someone in my life that was holding me in that way. And that inspired me to sort of become what was missing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does make sense. It's It shows a natural progression and a passion for what you do. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to be a full spectrum doula? Yeah, so full spectrum is sort of a pretty hot term, um, especially amongst uh, other birth workers, because that means that I am supporting the full range of pregnancy outcomes. Um, so that means, you know, happy, healthy pregnancy and births or abortions or termination for medical reasons um, or, you know, a birth that ends in a miscarriage or a loss in some realm, um, whether that's a stillbirth or an early miscarriage or um, a terminal diagnosis or something along those lines. So I am doing everything on the conception journey, you know, from happy and healthy to bereavement and really tough losses. So how is it to work with the really tough losses and know that it's not always going to be happy, healthy? You know, it can be scary, right? Because we have certain expectations around pregnancy and birth. And we always think like that we're going to, you know, have everything that we want, that our dreams are going to come true. Um, but life is, is definitely not that way. And things do take a turn. And that's when we tend to need the most support, right? Um, that's when we tend to, to meet isolation a lot more intimately. Um, because people, you know, our society as a whole, we really struggle with grief, right? And feeling our feelings. Um, and we don't necessarily know how to show up for that. And it gives people, you know, it gives me an opportunity um, to live life and feel feelings that I, I won't necessarily always encounter. You know, like I'm, I'm there as a support person for other people's experiences. And it is a lot of work, you know. Um, it can be really hard at times to see those things take a turn and to see families in suffering. But it's really important to me that they have those supports because that's when they need them the most. Right. And that's, you know, kind of what you were looking for throughout your pregnancy journeys is, is that support. So what sort of kind of, you know, did you go through any education or trainings to kind of get to this point of, you know, childbirth education and being a full spectrum doula? Yeah, I have taken a lot of trainings um, and I continue my education as much as I possibly can. Sort of what inspired me to become full spectrum, though, was one particular client of mine. Um, I think she was probably my second client ever as a birth doula, and it was an unexpected full term loss. Um, and I had no training at that point, right? Like I, in terms of bereavement and loss, I was a trained birth doula, but I was not at all prepared, um, to see that. And her loss really touched my heart so deeply. And I, I think about them even now still, you know, years later. Um, and that's what inspired me to become full spectrum because I realized, you know, I do need to have these skills. I need to be prepared 
for the unexpected because things can happen. Um, so yeah, I continue my education constantly. I'm always refreshing my trainings. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to be the best sort of support system for these families. Great. And what sort of happens if, if someone like in that situation you had is simply a birth doula and someone does have to go through loss? Like, are, do they just kind of like let the family go or, and then the family doesn't have support or do they kind of like refer to somebody else? I think it really depends on the doula. Um, you know, if a doula has zero experience with loss and doesn't, you know, and feels really overwhelmed by supporting a family in that, um, she might reach out. You know, I see a lot of people do that online. They reach out and say, you know, I have this client, this thing is happening and I don't know what to do for them. Where do I go? Um, and so a lot of us full spectrum doulas will hop on and we'll, we'll offer ourselves to that family or we will, you know, direct them to a network sort of like a uh, still birthday is a network that offers a sort of a directory of bereavement doulas. Um, so, you know, anyone all across the states is listed on there and it's a resource for families to go and check out if they're experiencing a loss at any gestation. Um, but I think it's really up to, like I said, the doula, you know, if they're willing to face that hard moment with that family, then, you know, we guide them on how to best do that. Um, but if they feel like that's not for them and they need to step out and sort of refer, then there's always that option as well. And so then are you working mostly with local mothers or are you kind of able to be a doula kind of across the nation? It's a little bit of both. Um, I'm definitely here for the local mothers. I volunteer with an organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, which is remembrance um, bereavement photography for families who are experiencing a perinatal loss. And it's free. So I volunteer with them. Um, and I also, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but I volunteer with Postpartum Support International, and that's for um, perinatal mental health. So that all sort of intertwines, you know, it's hand in hand with loss and bereavement because those can trigger perinatal mental health disorders, um, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, right? So both of those organizations are great for families. And so did you have a career before you had kids? Not really, no. <laughs> I was sort of, you know, trying to figure out where, where I was meant to be. Um, I did a little bit of dabbling in, I was always sort of a caregiver, right? You know, I did a little bit of dabbling in senior caregiving. Um, when I was younger, before having children, I worked in a couple of assisted living facilities um, for seniors with, you know, various degrees of dementia and Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, I did a little bit of waitressing, a little bit of, you know, a little odd jobs here, dog bathing, you know, um, volunteering at a vet hospital. So I was always trying to figure out like where I was supposed to be. Um, but having my son really sort of helped me dial that in. Um, you know, I always loved labor, pregnancy, birth and, and all of that. And I thought to myself initially that I wanted to become a nurse. Um, but then I realized that's not the aspect of where I want to be on that journey. And I, I learned about doulas. Um, shortly after I had him, I had seen a documentary, which sparked that whole journey for me of becoming a doula. 
um, it was called the business of being born, I believe. And I saw a doula in there and I ended up actually training under her later on. So yeah, I was definitely wandering in terms of career choices before I had children, but you know, giving birth and having, having my son really helped me sort of figure out where my passion lied. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, know what they want to go into um and and take time to to figure that out it's just kind of i asked because it kind of very much sounded like i had my kids and then i started doing this so it was kind of like well yeah you had a life before kids i sort of did yeah it was a wild life um definitely not anything that had a direction (laughs) you know um it was sort of just like what do I want to do? Do I want to do this? Is that for me? No, let me go try that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting experience, you know, before becoming a mother, but motherhood in and of itself has been such a a journey and such a learning period of self-discovery, um, and self-healing work that it has led me, you know, down the path of, of serving other families in this realm. And so you also mentioned doing work in terms specifically of um, perinatal mental health support. So is that yes. kind of all roped into being a doula or do you do that kind of like on the side for someone who might need that specifically? So it's a little bit of both, right? I bring that into myself as a doula. So when someone chooses me, they get the added benefit of having someone who's really experienced with perinatal mental health challenges. Um, but as my role as a volunteer with PSI, that is something entirely separate from doula work because, um, you know, it could be anybody, right? People that I didn't work with that aren't my clients as doulas that reach out to PSI. Um, they ask, you know, for help and support, and then they get connected to me or my colleague. You know, there's two of us. We sort of work as a team for our county. But um, they get connected to me, and then I provide virtual support to them. Uh, you know, whether it is holding space and giving that peer support or helping them find a therapist that meets their insurance needs um, or find other resources that would best support them in their recovery. And since you just kind of mentioned insurance there, does the work you do with expectant parents, um, is that ever covered under insurance or is this kind of something that people have to do as an aside to get the support? So I know in some areas, right, insurances are working to start covering doulas. Um, But as it stands right now, currently, my work is private pay and is not covered under insurance. Um, Maybe sometime in the future, those things might shift, you know, but as of right now, it is sort of an aside in addition to your other medical expenses. And so how do people kind of like find you and reach out to you if they're like in general looking for you as a doula or kind of anyone as an experienced doula? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know how people would find me. You can definitely go to my website, um, which is just tiffanyingendoula.com. Um, or people, you know, generally get word of mouth referrals, or I do a lot of networking on social media. So I try to make it known in the moms groups that I am a resource um, and that this is the work that I offer. So I think people can find me in a, a 
bunch of different ways, you know, thanks to Google profiles. Um, you know, if they type me doula into, you know, Google, hopefully I pop up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a, a whole bunch of different ways that people usually come across me. So have you, do you like tend to have a lot of people that you're working with throughout a year or is it a lot of individualized work? I think it really varies. You know, one year I can have a handful of clients. Another year it might be really, really slow and I'm mostly focused on my volunteer work and my advocacy. Um, other times, you know, it just, it's really sort of, it ebbs and flows. It, it totally varies. I don't know. There's really no method to the madness I have identified. <laughs> yeah. And you've talked a little bit about your volunteer work, um, but could you share maybe some more about the advocacy work you do? Yeah. So with my role as PSI, I use my volunteer role um, to sort of recruit care providers and educate more care providers locally and in another county, you know, the county where I gave birth to my daughter. Um, it was very important to me to sort of revisit that area and sort of create a care network that wasn't in existence when I needed it. Um, so I use my role to sort of get in with different various care providers and encourage them to get educated about perinatal mental health disorders, take our training, get certified and become a resource that I can now refer help seekers to. Um, and I do a lot of, you know, like resource fairs and educating the community there. Online advocacy, you know, with my social media, I speak a lot about my experience and, and through the podcasts, you know, this is sort of my way of normalizing these experiences and making it safe for families to come forward and know that, you know, these are okay and you can get help. Um, so yeah, you know, that it takes a lot of different faces but it's all in the sort of same realm of, you know, just getting the word out about maternal mental health. Um, my ultimate end goal is to really influence policy and procedure for families. I want to make it safe, you know, for families to disclose and get proper help that they need. Um, that's just not available to a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do you... Um... Because you mentioned, you know, kind of an early on client who you think about, are you able to stay connected with some of these people that you work with? I know that's like completely yeah. left turn from what no, you were just saying. No, I do. I love staying connected. Um, that's actually the best for me because <laughs> I, when I can follow people's journeys long term, um, I really enjoy being a resource for them through all the different ages and stages. And so when you kind of first were maybe thinking about having a family, did you really think about, you know, kind of being involved in so many other families' experiences? No, I mean, that wasn't even in my awareness. It wasn't on my, you know, it wasn't a blip on my map yet. Um, I always knew at some level, you know, that caregiving in some way, shape or form was, you know, likely to be my, my route. Um, but it didn't really become clear to me until many years into my motherhood and parenting journey. Right. So do you think, you know, is there like a right time that people should be reaching out, you know, to a doula or a perinatal mental health specialist, or can it be kind of any time in the birthing journey or kind of even post birth? 
it can really be any time. But I think if I had to encourage families, I think the sooner the better, right? You know, like going through that experience, but having that full support available to you throughout the whole thing is really going to just benefit that family in so many ways. Um, But if that family can't access that care for some reason or another, it's never too late to, you know, reach out, right? Like you could be six months postpartum and, and still come to me as a, as a person who needs help. Um, but I think if I, you know, do want to leave anybody with this message, like just the sooner, the better so that you can have the best experience possible. Right. And now kind of switching gears again, because that's where I am apparently tonight. Um, (laughs) when you, you know, you had your son and then you had your daughter, you know, were you thinking about having more kids at all? I still do sometimes, <laughs> um, especially working as a doula and seeing those really adorable, fresh newborns. Um, there are times when I come back and I think I want another one, um, but I don't know. I'm not sure if two is the end of the road for me yet, or if there's maybe potentially another one that would want to come through. Um, there are some concerns, you know, right? Because of my severe experience with my daughter in my perinatal mental health, I am afraid to sort of go down that route again. Um, and also, you know, my body isn't what it once was. <laughs> so I, there are some things that cause me to pause when I get that baby fever. But um, occasionally there are times when I do think that I might want another one. I don't know. Right. And that, and I truly only ask that because of the work that you're in, you know, working with children, working with newborns um, to kind of, you know, this experience of motherhood seems to be something that you very much are happy to be on that journey. Um, otherwise, I would not have asked such a personal question. Yeah, no, it's totally OK. Um, there's a lot to think about, you know, when deciding to bring another life through. But the temptation is definitely there sometimes um, because, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful transformation and, you know, it's one of the most amazing things that you can experience in life. So I can definitely see why you asked. (laughs) I'm not sure that I have any other specific questions to ask you before I start to wrap things up. So is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners today? I don't know. Um, I think my main messages, you know, are about learning to work on yourself, right? The journey of parenthood and self-healing, the whole mental health aspect of things. Like, I just really want to normalize and bring awareness to that maternal mental health aspect and, and label, you know, because I did just say that it's one of the most beautiful things that you can go through. It's also one of the most devastating at times. And I, I want to be really honest about that. Like it's not all unicorns and rainbows and parenting is really hard and it can be really ugly for some people. Um, and that's okay. You know, like I want to, I want to make that okay for families because there is beauty and there is also absolutely a lot of grief in being a mother and being a parent in and of itself. Um, and so that's sort of my main message is just, you know, with the neurodivergence and with being a mother who is raising challenging children, 
um, and going through a lot. I just want to sort of give that space to other families who may be going through the same thing and just give them a little hug and a nod and say, you know, you're not alone. We're all in this together. If you need support, I'm here. And don't be afraid, you know, to take care of yourself and ask for help. Yes, I think those are some great messages for people to hear, and I'm glad that you shared them. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. So my question for you today is, what is your favorite type of cuisine? Ooh, that is tough because I don't, I love food. (laughs) So I'm going to say like, you know, Italian Mexican, Puerto Rican. I don't know. It's like a lot, a lot of different cuisines. I'm sort of a food junkie. (laughs) So, and then the desserts, you know, the, the sweets they call to me. So. All right. That brings this episode to a close. So as Tiffany mentioned her website earlier, I'll be leaving that in the description along with both of the volunteer organizations she mentioned, the Postpartum Support International, and Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. Both of those links will be in the description as well. And also if you'd like to follow Tiffany on Instagram, her Instagram link will be there as well. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That brings you to all of our past episodes, past resources, and our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well in the description, along with my email. If you would like to be a guest, feel free to reach out to me. So thank you so much, Tiffany, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It was so nice to be able to connect with you today. Bye everyone.